So uh, let me just kind of bring you up to speed. If you weren't here last week for our introduction to our new series called uh, Dear God, When Love is Rejected. If you don't know uh, the meaning of the term Dear John, it's a letter that uh, a love interest gets. Usually uh, it's a guy, obviously, John. Uh, he gets a letter from his significant other basically saying, don't want you no more. Don't, don't love you no more. Don't have somebody else in mind. And what we've, what we've been doing is we've been saying that we're going to be looking at some, uh, some incidents uh, from the Gospel of John, taking that play on, on the word uh, or the name John, but, but also because of the prologue of John, John, John begins his uh, Gospel by, by basically telling us that, that God has had his heart broken, that God is the one who's been rejected, that that. He who created the, the, the world, though the world did not recognize him, though he came into his own, his own people, his own nation, his own, his own family, th- they did not receive him. And so we, we said, write the word rejection over that. And, and that's the reason why we're looking at uh, things through the lens of, of John's prologue or introduction uh, to his gospel. And we're going to see that there's a kind of a theme that runs through. And uh, you know what? I, I tell you what, if, if you don't know that God has had a broken heart, uh, then d- let me just challenge you to go a little bit deeper. This is like kind of a homework assignment. Uh, read Ezekiel chapter 16, just the 16th chapter. Read Ezekiel chapter 16. And there it talks about how, how God has found the nation of Israel as a baby that was cast out into a field and how he had compassion upon it and and the relationship that he had with it until until it became a beautiful woman and and it rejected god or 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 read the story of uh relationship between uh hosea and his uh spouse who uh was a heartbreak it it was an allegory of the relationship between between god and the nation of israel how that her unfaithfulness did not did not detract from God's ravished heart and, and that God will not relent until he, he, he has our heart. And uh, this is his relationship with the, with the human race. You see, it, it's, it, it was not enough for God to simply have a relationship with man, uh, creator and creature, uh, king and subject, shepherd and, and sheep. That, that wasn't sufficient. It wasn't even sufficient for God to have a relationship with the human race as father and child. But God wanted something more intimate, something even closer than that. And that's what we're going to kind of go toward this morning. So my, my question here that I'd like to ask you is this, what is the pathway to God's favor? What is the pathway to God's blessing? You know, the Bible describes the kingdom of God as being a kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy, you know? Uh, when Jesus described uh, the life that he gives, he, he described it in terms of, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And I like to think of Jesus as, as everything that Jesus provides, everything that Jesus gives is over the top. It's abundant mercy. It's abundant love. It's abundant grace. It's abundant kindness, it's over the top. In fact, this is the language of the Bible. When, when, when you read that God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we're able to ask or think. 
or when you, when you read when the scripture says that no eye has seen and no ear has heard, neither has it even entered into the imagination or the mind of man, the wonderful things that God has in store to those who love him. What God has planned for the future is over the top. I don't know if you've ever had this consideration or thought like, you know, uh, I, I, I like, you know, like the Discovery Channel when, when sometimes they're exploring the universe. I love that stuff. But, 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 but I think about like, God, why, why so huge, you know? Why, why did you make billions upon billions upon billions of stars, you know? I said, one billion would have been enough for me, you know? Like, but there's billions upon billions. Listen, listen if, if, if we could travel at the rate of the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second, if we could travel that far, that fast, that long, did, did you know that just, just the, our galaxy, the Milky Way, would take 100,000 years to go from one end to the other? And did you know that there is an estimated, as far as what we know, and there's probably more that we don't know, but there's probably billions of galaxies in the universe? Does this not blow your mind? So I got to ask the question, why? So huge, so, why so big? I think the, the only explanation, the only answer that we could even scratch the surface too, is to discover that it has something to do with how awesome God is, how big the God whom we serve is, because God is, is obviously bigger than, he's obviously greater than creation. And so, so what that tells me is that God has something enormous planned for those, something really over the top that's been planned for those that know him and those that love him. Let me just ask you one, one question. Does that interest you? Is that, thanks for the nod, Dave. Yeah, Dave's, yeah. I mean, does that interest you? Listen, if, if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, uh, I, I hope that that introduction kind of interests you a little bit in about this God whom we love and serve and whom we call amazing. But you know what? If you're here this morning, you know, probably there's some, you know, measure of interest. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here unless, unless you were totally bribed to come to church with somebody who, who said, you know, if you come to church, I'll take you out to lunch. You know, and we sometimes do that around here. And, you know, so please forgive us. I apologize on their behalf. But, but just, j- j- just to give you a little bit of advice, this is what I suggest you do. When you go out to lunch, order anything you want from the menu, <laughs> you know, and order an appetizer. And then, and then at the end, just say, yeah, I just have room for dessert, you know, and, and say the pastor said he'll pay for it. So, so just go ahead and see me, uh, you know, in about a week from now. But you have to come back, show me the bill that you had dessert, all right? And I'll pay for it. But no, seriously, I, I hope that this morning you are challenged and that you are hungry for, for something more than what you have in your life right now. And, and, and I hope that that hunger that we're creating here this morning is, is to know and experience God. One of the ancient songwriters the, called the psalmist, he, he, he said this, he said, taste and see experience 
that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. What does that mean, taste and see? See, I I can tell you uh, that honey is sweet. It probably is one of the sweetest products that you can naturally have, right? Honey is amazingly sweet. But there's a world of difference between telling you that honey is sweet and you experiencing the sweetness of honey. And there's a world of difference between my telling you that God is good and that God is a loving, gracious God and you personally tasting and experiencing for yourself, experientially, the love of God. It will change your life. It will transform your life. So that's my challenge to you this morning. Taste and see. And for everyone else, taste and see. Now I want you to imagine that we're talking about food a little bit here. And right about 1130, some of you haven't had breakfast this morning. You kind of skipped to get here on church on time. And I appreciate that, you know. And so you probably, you know, the, the noise that that is rumbling is probably your stomach, you know, saying, feed me, feed me, you know. So, so if you're hungry, you know, th- this really helps in, in, my, uh, in my illustration. So I want you to imagine with me for a minute, all right, that you're hungry, okay? Probably not hard to do, right? But I want you, I want you to imagine that, just close your eyes for a minute, and, that, and that the, 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 sm- the fragrance, the smell of freshly baked bread is wafting in your, your nostrils, you know? And uh, I tell you what, they, they, there's nothing like fr- freshly, the smell of freshly baked bread, right? D- did you know that people who want to sell their houses, you know, what they do is they, they bake cookies or they bake bread, you know, before the people come to see the house because that smell, that aroma is so inviting, you know? Is that, so I want you to imagine that you're now standing in front of this amazing storefront, this window. It's called the Heavenly Bakery. What a great name for a bakery, the Heavenly Bakery. And you're looking at all of the different baked products that are, that are, that, that, that are there in the window on display. And they've got all kinds of different shaped breads. They've got round breads. They've got oblong breads. They've got Italian bread. Oh, do you know what a pist? Anybody know what a pistoloon is? Probably not too many. Uh, probably none. I know what a pistoloon is. It is a Sicilian, crusty bread that you can probably only get at a couple of bakeries in Brooklyn, and it is to die for. It is so. It is like it's like a meal, you know. And so I want you. To, I want you to think about this with me. They, 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 they've got. All different, they've got French bread, they've got croissants, you know, they've got, they've got all different kinds of bread from different ethnics of different nations all around the world, and they're there on display, and they've got cakes. I mean, you can't have a bakery without a cake. They've got cakes, and you can almost smell the vanilla coming through the glass, okay? And uh, th- th- there's a strawberry shortcake on display, and it looks so yummy, Big strawberries, big fat strawberries like that. And they've got, they've got cheesecake. How many of you love cheesecake? I love cheesecake. Am I getting you all hungry yet? Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And there's, listen, there's chocolate layer cake. Let me, let me tell you something about heaven. Heaven has chocolate. Heaven would not be heaven without, who doesn't love chocolate? You know, when I go to heaven, I'm going to have a lot of chocolate. <laughs> I have a lot of chocolate now, but anyway. <laughs> but 
But, 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 but here, here you are standing in front, of, you're looking through the window, the heavenly bake shop, right? And now you notice, now you notice that there's a little tag under each item that's on sale here at the heavenly bakery. And, and you are blown away because the price is, is, is beyond what you could afford. It is priceless. It is, it is beyond what you and I together, what all of us together in this room, we can't afford it. We can't afford what God has on the other side of that heavenly bakery window. And if that heavenly bakery window represents for us all that God has planned, all that is over the top, all that God has planned for us in eternity, and his desire, remember, I said his desire was to have a relationship with the human race more than creator creature, more than king subject, more than shepherd sheep. He, He wants to have something so intimate and to, but we can't even get through the door. So all of, our, all of our good works, all of our righteousness, all of our deeds, our religious duties and service and, and serving can't even get us through the door. So where does that leave us? Just put that on, just put that on hold, if you would, for a minute. Talking about food, right? Talking about food. 34 years ago, Kathy and I, my wife, Kathy, say hi to everybody, Kathy, say hi. Kathy and I started the church 34 years ago in our living room. We didn't have to move any of the furniture out of our living room to put folding chairs in the living room because we didn't have any furniture. (laughs) It was back in the day. We were real poor folk, you know. Uh, But we had folding chairs. And we had service on Thursday nights for a couple of months. But then we, had, then we had our first service on a Sunday morning. We had a rented facility. We had the, I don't know if you know this, the Sherwood Brothers Allegiant Hall on Lake Avenue, 95 Lake Avenue, just north of, of Jericho Turnpike on Lake Avenue. Rented facility. We used it twice a week, Thursday nights and Sunday mornings. Cost us $40 a week. Did you believe that? $40 a week, $200 a month to rent. And the first service was packed out. We, we had invited family. Family had invited family, friends to come. We advertised. and we had, we had well over 100 people that first service that we had. We had 18 people the second service, but we had about 100 people at first service. And we invited, after the end of the service, we invited everybody to come back with us to our house. And... Uh, Amazingly, everybody came back to us at our house for lunch. And uh, my wife had been making uh, trays of pasta, and she had been making sausage and peppers. She had been making veal cutlet parmesan, chicken cutlet parmesan, eggplant. You you, kind of get the idea we're Italian. Eggplant parmesan. And and she was working all week, and she's making trays, and I'm putting the trays out. And people are... I, the only way I can describe it is they were like locusts. They swooped down on the food and they consumed the food. It was like, like they never ate before, you know? It was like they must have known, like, we're going to hear their house. They got good food, you know? And so I come in the house, right? I come in the house and I say, honey, I need more trays. And she, for the first time in, in our marriage, she swears. No, no, I'm just kidding, no. She didn't swear. For the first time, for the first time, she, she, she says, no, she says, she says, we have no more food. We're all out of food. I don't know if, I don't know if you guys have ever seen the movie Gone with the Wind, you know, 
great American classic movie, uh, the uh, heroine, uh, Charlotte O'Hara, Scarlett, Scarlett, Scarlett O'Hara, <laughs> Charlotte, somebody else, but Scarlett O'Hara, right? She, uh, she, she is at the end of the movie, right? She, she's, she's hungry, and, and she, she finds a, a lone carrot growing in the field, you know, and she pulls it out, and she, she wipes it off, and she starts to eat this carrot, you know, and then she gets angry about the fact that she's eating this stinking carrot. And she says this, and, and she, th- th- this is classic. She says this, she says, she says, as God is my witness, I will never be hungry again. And, and my wife that day said something like that. She said, we will never run out of food again. And that's 34 years ago. And you could ask my family at every, at every holiday, whether it's Christmas or Thanksgiving or Easter, whatever it is, we don't even have room on the table to put all the food. My kids are always saying the same thing. Why do you make so much food? Because 34 years ago, we ran out of food. You don't understand. She said, as God is my witness, I'll never run out of food again. Now, I said that to, 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 to say this. I want to tell you about a, a situation in the Gospel of John it was, it, was, it, was, it was a big celebration. It was a celebration not so much unlike our first service where we celebrated, but, but, but this, was, this was a wedding, and they ran out of wine, and this was a big deal to run out of wine. This is nothing insignificant. In fact, in fact I've got a quote from uh, Dr. Constable uh, who uh, puts it in perspective as to how important this was of an issue to run out of wine. And so, so listen to the quote. It's probably up on the screen. You can follow along with me. It says, to, f- to fail to provide adequately for the guests would involve social disgrace. In the closely knit communities of Jesus' day, such an error would never be forgotten and would haunt the newly married couple all the days of their lives. That's amazing. It would haunt them. It would be the thing that people remembered about their wedding. They ran out of wine. When people talk, my family talks about my son Will's wedding, the only thing they talk about is the traffic they were stuck in for hours. Isn't that true, Marie? Isn't that true? Just about, you know? He said this, that the loss would not only have been shame and social disgrace, however, but also financial, since grooms had a legal responsibility in that culture to provide a suitable feast for their guests. In other words, people would start taking money out of the envelope when they ran out of wine. That's, that's exactly what he's talking about there. Now, but before we actually look at the story that's found in the second chapter of uh, the Gospel of John, let me just remind you once again that we're looking through the filter of the prologue of John, John chapter 1, where he said the creator, the, the word Jesus is the creator by whom all things have been made. Without him there is nothing made that was made and it was made by him and for him. And the world did not recognize him. And he came into his own and his own received him not. But, and there's one of the most important buts right in there, but to as many as did receive him, to them he gave the right to become children of God or the sons of God. Now, at this point, 
to show you at the end of, of chapter one how clueless the nation is. They, they, they not only do not recognize that the Messiah is in their midst, but, but they don't even recognize that the forerunner, John the Baptist, who was to introduce Jesus as the Lamb of God to the nation, that they don't even know who John is. And so they send messengers to John saying, who are you anyway? And, you know, are you the Messiah? And John says, I'm not the Messiah, but I am the one that's crying in the wilderness. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight his path. Now remember, we're talking about what is the pathway to God's blessing? What's the pathway to God's favor? And so, and so they're absolutely clueless. Now at this point, at the end of chapter one, Jesus has now about six disciples who are, who are followers of Jesus. Six. There's Peter and, and, and John, Andrew, uh, James. There's Philip and Nathan. And, and, and that's about, about it. Or Nathaniel, rather. And uh, they're all invited to a wedding. So this is where we pick up then in the story in John chapter 2. So in John chapter 2, verse 1, on the third day, that is the third day after these disciples now had joined themselves to Jesus, there was a wedding in Canaan of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. Now, both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman, what does that concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. So again, I want to reiterate that a wedding was a mega social event for a community. It was a celebration that lasted as much as three days. I mean, it was a, a big deal. And their running out of wine was not just a social pofa or pofa? No. What, what is it? Faux par. Yeah, I got, I got my pos and my fars are all mixed up. Listen. It was, it was a bad omen for them. It was a bad sign for them. It was, it was an indication that their marriage was going to run out of joy. Their marriage was going to run out of love. Or some other unfortunate thing was going to happen to that. Now, some of the translators, I should say some of the commentators, even translators have attempted to soften this, this statement that Jesus makes when he says, woman, what, what does that have to do with me? And... and in the NIV, it adds the word dear in front of the word woman. So it softens it a little bit. Dear woman, you know, but, but that really doesn't belong there. Now, most commentators say that, that while it sounds harsh to our Western ears, that Jesus was being kind of curt or being rude, that, that that's not what's going on here at all. And, and, and they basically say that that is, you know, legitimate language. It's, it, it's okay language for that culture and that time for Jesus to speak, but I think that's to miss the point altogether. Uh, Jesus wasn't being irritable. Mark and I were talking about how sometimes we get irritable if we don't feel good and we get cranky, you know, but Jesus is not being cranky here. He's not, it's not that he doesn't, you know, that there's some issue here. He is distancing himself from his mother. He didn't call her mom. He didn't call her mother. He called a woman purposely. And the reason why he purposely called her woman was to distance himself for, from her for several reasons. 
Number one, the gospel of John, more than any of the other gospels, has this primary purpose, to present Jesus as God manifest in the flesh, as the deity of the word who was with God, the word who was God, who has come among us and dwelt among us. It is to display the, the divine nature of the Son of God. Now, the words of Mary, her request, if you will, indicate two things. Number one, it seems that she ignores his deity because being God, he is omniscient. He knows they have no wine. He knew they had no wine or they were going to run out of wine before she did. In fact, it was before the foundation of the world. Jesus knows the end from the beginning, okay? So she kind of ignores his deity. Secondly, Mary is kind of seeking to exert parental authority over Jesus by, by kind of compelling him to act on their behalf in this circumstance. And so Jesus refers to her as woman. Now let's just look at Mary's point of view for a moment. Mary, from Mary's point of view, she knows that her son Jesus is compassionate and caring. And that it's not a matter of ability, that, that, that he, could, he could do just about anything to help. But the, it's very unlikely that she even, sur, 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 what's the word? Surmised that he would do a miracle to solve their problem. But, but she was basically looking to him to solve their problem. I think that Jesus, for another reason, this was distancing himself from her to show that the pathway to favor, the pathway to blessing would not be through family ties. It would not be through, through racial lineage. And, 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 and this comes out in the Gospels in several different ways. On one occasion, Jesus is, is in the house and he's teaching. And as, and as he's teaching, they interrupt him and they say, your mother and your brother and sisters are outside and they're wanting to talk to you. And Jesus points to his disciples and he says, who is my brother and my mother and my, and my, and my sisters, but they that do the will of God. And on another occasion, when a woman cried out from the crowd and said, blessed is the, the mother who gave birth to you and the woman who nursed you, he said, yea, rather blessed Blessed are those that hear the word of God and who do it. So Jesus was clearly showing and teaching that the pathway to blessing and favor was not through family ties, but was through something else. And that's what we're looking at this morning. And then he says this cryptic statement in that last phrase. He says, my hour has not yet come. It is the first of seven times John records something about his hour. There are seven miracles recorded by John. There are seven I am sayings of Jesus in the Gospel of John. And, and overlooked, but should never be overlooked, are the seven times that Jesus refers to my hour. What is his hour? What, what is he talking about? My time, my hour, specifically, my hour has not yet come. It is the hour of his agony. It's the hour of his pain and suffering. It's the hour of his death. It is the very reason why he has entered into our humanity. Let me just give you one example. John 12, verse 27 says, Now, 
My heart is troubled. My heart is burdened to the point where Jesus sweat great drops of blood, right? And he said, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very hour I came to this hour. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And at that moment, a voice from heaven was heard saying, I have glorified it. I will glorify it again. And, and some said it thundered and others said an angel spoke to him. But Jesus said, you missed it. This voice was heard not for my sake, but for yours. To the intent that you might believe. Because the pathway, the pathway to favor is by believing. The pathway to God's favor is by believing. I remember reading a blog some time ago. <clears throat> And the blog was, was critical of Christianity. It was, it was critical of the phrase Good Friday. The writer of this blog was basically saying, I, I, I don't get it. I don't understand how you can call Friday good when, when if your name is Jesus and you are crucified, you are nailed to a cross. He says, he says basically this. He says, it, the good just escapes me. And, and that's the problem. The good escapes the person who wrote this blog. You see, that day is called good not because of the kind of day Jesus had, but because of the kind of day that we have as a result of what Jesus suffered. You see, it was there that Jesus took the handwriting of the record of my sins and he nailed them to the cross. It was there that Jesus crushed the head of Satan, that old serpent, the devil, and, and, and spoiled principalities and powers and made a public display of them openly by the triumph of his cross. It was there at the cross where Jesus dealt a death blow to death and sin itself. And that's why we call it Good Friday. Though the gentleman who wrote that blog didn't get it. Thank God when our eyes are open and we get it. Listen to what verse 5 says. This is delightful. His mother, speaking again about Mary, said to the servants, now to the servants who were serving at this wedding, whatever he says to you, do it. I think that's charming. I, I, I think this is where Nike got their slogan for just do it, you know. Just, just do it. You know, whatever he says, just, just do it. And I think it's charming because I think at this point, Mary humbly received the rebuke because it was her Lord and her Savior who was speaking to her at that point. And she, she submitted, She's, Jesus, you have the right to do as you please, when you please, as you please. And, and I tell you what, there's a great lesson for each of us here. And that, and that lesson is simply this, that it is, it is never good for us to dictate to God what he should do, when he should do it, and how he should do it. Not a good idea, because he's God. But we're to let our requests be made known to God with thanksgiving. And then when we do that, we, we leave it in God's hands for God to do what he will do when he prefers to do it. That's called trusting and resting in God. Now, it's very possible that Jesus had intended to do this miracle because th there's nothing that he did not do 
except that which his father revealed to him and showed him. So, so I believe that this was on the agenda. This was on the calendar. It was going to happen anyway. But I believe that Jesus was waiting for the optimum moment. He was waiting for the fact that really there was no more wine left, not even a drop left at the wedding reception. Why? Because there would be, there would be no room for confusion for someone to say, oh yeah, well, we, we found some barrels over here behind the shed, you know? And so they knew that there was no more wine. Verse six says this, nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding about 20 to 30 gallons. Now, let me say this. These were jars or vessels that contained a lot of water, right? But they weren't for drinking. They were for the purpose of ceremonial washing. And it wasn't because they were concerned about germs and they didn't want to... No, this, this, was, this was something that became a tradition that degenerated into mere ritual. And, there, and the water jars were empty. And the number is six, specific. Six is the number of man. Six is the, the day in which God created man. And, and six is the number of man. And so, and so here what we have is a picture of man being absolutely empty. We, we have a picture of the, of the poverty of man. That you and I have no, not even the slightest ability to pay for even our entrance into God's heavenly blessings, all that God has prepared for us. Verse seven says, Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. I love that addition that right there, Jesus gives them the, the, the direction, just fill, fill the water jars with, with water and they fill it to the brim so that there's no, there, there's no mistake about anybody adding any other substance to it. They're filled to the brim. See, one of the, the things is, is that when they drank wine at a feast like this, they drank it diluted with water for several reasons. Number one, to stretch the quantity, number one. But number two, to also d- d- dilute the, the alcohol content. Because, you know, who wants people drunk at a wedding, right? So verse eight says this, then he told them, now draw some and take it to the master or the maitre d' of the banquet. So they did. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He didn't realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside. Now imagine, imagine for a minute this conversation had Jesus not come through on their behalf. Imagine the conversation that the maitre d' would have had with the bridegroom on a very embarrassing moment. On, on a moment that would have meant an omen or a sign to, to, to his, I mean, the wedding would, the ceremony would have basically, the party would have been over at that point. And, and that, that would have been, as, as Constable said, it would have carried with that, that couple the rest of their life, that they would be so embarrassed. But instead of being embarrassed, listen to what happens. Verse 10 says, this is what the man said, the, the maitre d' said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have, drunk, have, have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. So instead of being embarrassed and humiliated, he's being honored and he's being praised. The, the groom is being praised for, for being such a great host, 
for being so magnanimous, so generous as to put out the very best wine at the end of the party. Verse 11 says this, this is the first of his miraculous signs Jesus performed at Canaan and Galilee. He thus revealed his glory or manifested his glory and his disciples believed upon him or put their trust in him. Now at that point, those six disciples that I mentioned earlier, they had already believed in Jesus, but now their trust in Jesus grew deeper because of what they saw. Through their beholding the glory and seeing the glory, they began to trust more deeply. You see, this is This is simple, but it's also profound. That the way into God's favor, the way into God's blessing, the admittance into the kingdom of of God, where everything is over the top, where grace abounds, where mercy abounds, is by beholding and by believing. By beholding the glory of Jesus Christ and trusting in his glorious person. Beholding his glory, seeing his beauty. I want you to notice that not everyone sees his glory. That at this wedding feast, it wasn't the bride, the groom, it wasn't the the maitre d', it wasn't the other guest. It was only the disciples and the servants who drew the water that was turned into wine, who knew and who beheld his glory. If you're here this morning and your eyes have been open and you, you have seen the value of Jesus, you have seen the glory of this one that we call the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. It is because, it is because you have beheld something that God has revealed to you. Flesh and blood does not reveal this unto you, but my Father, which is in heaven, how privileged you are, how how unique you are among the millions and among the billions. If you trust in Jesus, do you, do you realize how blessed you are that God has in store for you plans that are over the top, plans that this universe itself that we spoke about in the beginning of this message is, is just the banqueting hall, it's just a reception hall of the greatest celebration that will ever take place? Really? Listen to the way Paul explains this light that flashes across a human heart. That it's no, it's no normal understanding or light. It is something of supernatural nature. Listen to what Paul says. He says this in 2 Corinthians 4. You can follow along with me. It says this. And even if our gospel is veiled, that is, it is not understood, it is it is hidden. If our gospel is hidden, it is hidden from those who are perishing. The God of this age, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the, glo- of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, the very expression of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. And here it is, here it is, listen. For God, who said, let light shine 
out of darkness, made his light. God did something. God made something. God made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. God did that. For salvation is entirely, completely of God, not of human works or efforts. But it's a, it's a gift so that there's no, no one that can boast or brag except in grace, that we brag about grace. This is, this is unbelievable. Now let me bring the message to a landing and say this. I think I know what Jesus was thinking when he was sitting at the wedding and he's sipping the wine. I think I know what Jesus is thinking. See, it was real easy for Jesus to create wine, fermented wine out of, out of water. It was, it was simple. He, he, didn't, he didn't have to lay his hands on the water jars and he didn't even pray. He just simply said, fill it up and then draw it out. That, that's all he did. It was so effortless on his part because he is who he is. But as Jesus sipped the wine, what was on his mind was in that cryptic statement, that phrase, my hour has not yet come. As Jesus is sipping the wine at that wedding, he's thinking about what it will cost him to provide wine for his wedding. What it will cost him. It will cost him everything. It will cost him untold suffering, way, way beyond physical suffering. It will, it will cost him separation from God, and I cannot explain it nor understand it. It's a mystery. But the agony of Jesus at the cross is more than physical suffering. It is tantamount to eternal separation from God. But what I discover is this, that the relationship that he wanted could only be had. He was already the creator. We're already his subject. He's already the shepherd. We're already his sheep. He, he, he's already father and we're already his children. But to have a relationship that would be more intimate than that would be, would be that of a husband and a spouse, a husband and a wife. It would cost him, it, listen, beyond providing the wine, it would cost him his life to provide a bride. History will ultimately climax in a cosmic celebration, a wedding we call the marriage of the, the wedding of the Lamb. And blessed are all those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Jesus is sipping that wine and he knows the incredible agony that he's about to go through. That it will require his life, his precious blood to be poured out, not silver and gold, but with the precious blood of a lamb we've been bought, we've been purchased. And therefore we're not our own. What I want you to take away from this message this morning is simply this, that the pathway into God's favor is seeing and believing the glorious Son. And when your eyes are open to the glory of the Son, behold the cost of the cross that buys you entrance into the heavenly bakery and all that is 
available to us beyond our imagination and beyond anything that we could even expect. So what do you see when you see the cross? What do you see when you look to Jesus this morning? Let me ask you that question. Do do you see the beauty, imagine the value of the Son of God? Or, Or do you like the blogger? Don't, the the good seems to escape you. Then I want to challenge you this morning to to do what I said at the very beginning of this message, and that is to taste and see. Taste and see. Taste and see that the Lord is good, that there's a world of difference between knowing that God is good and experiencing his goodness and his love for yourself. Let's pray. So, Father, this morning, search the house, O oh God, and if there's even one person here this morning who doesn't know, doesn't, has not experienced, does not know what it's like to taste and see that the Lord is good, would you, would you begin even now to move upon their heart and open their eyes? Only you, Father, can, can draw men to Jesus. It's impossible that men come to you except you draw them, but I pray this morning that you will draw people even now in your presence, that the light of the glory of God would shine in their hearts to give them the knowledge of the Son of God in the glorious gospel of Christ, that you have so loved the world that you gave your only Son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. If you've never made that connection this morning, I I am so glad that you're here, but I want to give you that opportunity to just open your heart right now. Begin that conversation with God. Let it be something like this. God, come into my life. Jesus, I accept you as my Savior. Forgive me of my sins. Be the Lord of my life. I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you are glorious. And Father, for every other person that's here this morning, may Jesus become to us more glorious than ever before, more precious, more valuable, that we love him above everything else in this world. That's my prayer. Let's all stand together as we worship one more time.